The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all news, information, strategies, and updates on the topic of putting yourself on the path to financial independence through investing in real estate. And our topic today is sort of, um, I don't know, how to protect yourself from not being on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. We're going to talk today about government regulation, net current, proposed, upcoming, in the works, that will actually cost you money as a real estate investor and limit housing choice throughout the United States. So yes, I know, touchy topic, hot topic, topic that you might want to participate in. The phone numbers here in the studio are 877-772-9658 if you're calling from outside the greater Cincinnati area. In this Cincinnati area, it's 772-9658. You can also send us an email by going to askvena.com and filling in the email response form. We will uh, we'll get to that topic in just a moment. A couple of quick announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati's Wholesaling Subgroup meets this evening at 6.30 at Foley's Restaurant on Benson Road in Reading. Uh, there was some confusion on the website. It apparently had us meeting in two different locations for some reason, but it is definitely Foley's, not the other place that it said there on the website. So uh, if you're a REA member and you're interested in learning more about wholesaling in a small group, wholesaling subgroup, first Wednesday of every month, all the great subgroups listed at CincinnatiRIA.com. RIA has its first meeting of the month of June tomorrow evening at the usual location at the corner of Reading and Seymour Avenue at the CAA building. And uh, we are blessed to have two speakers on two really cool topics, one of which is Jane Sheets, who is our guest here on Real Life Real Estate a couple weeks ago. She's going to talk about her experiences buying defaulted mortgages and how that works and how you analyze them and how you pay for them and all of those sorts of things. And then our main meeting speaker is John Heyer, who uh, is a frequent guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. He's going to be addressing a number of things, including how to protect your assets and issues regarding the SAFE Act and the Dodd-Frank Act, which I know have been a very, very hot topic and of great concern to real estate investors all over the country who... Uh, like to finance properties for their buyers. So more information about tomorrow night's Cincinnati RIA meeting at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiRIA.com. 
or you can call Cincinnati Rhea at 859-292-7342 for more information, or you can just show up in the meeting as you like it. My guest today is John Heyer, who uh, is an attorney. He is also a former school board candidate from the Columbus area, uh, has gotten himself uh, heavily involved in some politics over the course of the last year or so, and uh, is someone who thinks a lot about, writes a lot about, and um, not to put too fine a point on it, rails a lot about government interference in our businesses. And John, a lot of people talk about how all oh, this overregulation, blah, blah, blah. But when you when you ask the typical real estate investor or landlord, okay, specifically, what overregulation, what specific regulation is causing you to, to, to not want to be in real estate or to, to uh, it costing you ridiculous amounts of money or ridiculous amounts of hassle? They, they can't, they can't, point to one and yet you believe they're all over the place well it's like death by a thousand cuts which cut actually killed you each of them caused you to lose a little bit of blood it's academic which one put you over the edge it's the same thing with regulation oh that 1099 you have to fill out that's not an unreasonable thing to ask it's only going to cost you $300 a year or six hours of your time. What's the problem with that? That's not so bad. Of course, then we have this other regulation about code enforcement, and we've got this other one about if you want to sell land contracts, you've got to go get a license. And we've got another one that if you're going to install this furnace, here's what it has to burn, and it adds up. And that's what these people don't get. And when I say these people these people who are in favor of just their solution to every one of life's problems is we need more regulation. Well, these people are idiots. Very few of them have ever run their own business. They think that money and time are infinite. The only thing that is infinite is human desire. Time and money are finite, and eventually you take enough of it that you drive people out of business. And that's especially true with people who have enough that they can be happy. Uh, If they're making X, and they might make more if they have an incentive, but they can also just sit back and watch the world go by, read, overeat, have a little bit of fun. Why bother if you're just going to have to go through all this hubaloo? And we'll go through some examples of that. Um, one figure, just to give you an idea of that this stuff really adds up, and there, there are different studies out there. This one is from a more conservative group, although it was funded by the SBA, the Small Business Administration. Um, the numbers are probably a little bit high but I don't think they're much lower than that. The total cost of regulation in 2008 was $1.75 trillion, 14% of the national income. The average was $8,086 per employee, and it actually hit small businesses, which is defined as a business with 20 employees or less, harder. Um, the, and these, this is where the job growth is, by the way. Two-thirds of job growth is with small business. It hit them for 10000 $585 average. Um, and by the way, I'm part of that problem, right? Anytime the IRS sends you a nasty gram, what do you do? You pay me to deal with it. That's part of the problem. I am part of the problem. Granted, a happy part of the problem presently, but I, uh, long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, um, it's actually it's actually a pretty complicated question because I've, I've gotten in debates on, on Facebook with people about this, about... Uh, 
you know, you, you just you just want to put every dime you possibly can in your pocket and you don't want to be regulated because you don't want to follow the rules like everybody else has to. And and realistically, how, how much does it cost you to to write a 1099 out to every single person that you paid a dime to? I mean, really, that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't cost you very much at all. And I don't I don't think that that people who aren't running businesses or who maybe aren't, or maybe they're in the real estate business, but they're, they're, I don't know, they own one property or something, or maybe they're just not paying attention <laughs> to what's going on around them. I don't think they realize the, the snowball, the avalanche, the snowball that turned into an avalanche of, of new regulations and new taxes, some hidden, some not, that have uh, come out at all levels of government against housing providers in 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 and and this is this has been of course i've i've been watching this for 20 years in the last five years it has been much much worse uh and and by the way you'll note that five years goes beyond back beyond the present administration and into the previous administration so this isn't a this isn't a democrat or republican problem it's a it's a it's an overall problem period and you know why of course i have an interest in seeing there be less hassle and cost involved in providing housing but housing is the biggest market in the united states when you add in building and supplies and 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 people's actual actual rents and mortgages and and you put all those together they are they are an outsized percentage of the gross national product housing is a big big deal well, and, and let's also look at not just overregulation, which, by the way, I, I don't believe we've ever seen regulation shrink under any president or any administration ever, Republican or Democrat. It's always grown. And over the last 12 years, uh, so under both Obama and Bush, who labeled himself as a compassionate conservative, let me translate that to you, not conservative, uh, regulation grew by leaps and by bounds, including some that impacts real estate very badly. Let's not look at just over-regulation, which my cost took into account. Let's also look at misregulation. Let's remember that the, uh, the Clintonites and the Bushies and the Obamaites have all misregulated real estate. For example, by requiring and encouraging loans to be made to people who do not deserve the loans. It's called the subprime thing, right? We had a law in 1977, the Community Reinvestment Act, that was Carter, that, has, that was the stick that said you have to lend money to people based on race, even if they don't qualify. And then the carrot during the Clinton years that the Bush people continued to their discredit was Fannie Mae will subsidize these loans, which is why Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac are not doing well. So we had the carrot of subsidizing loans to people who should not have had loans, and we had the stick of the Community Reinvestment Act of you need to lend money to people who can't pay back the loans. Mm-hmm. So you want to add mismanagement or misregulation to overregulation, and we're looking at some real numbers. Mm-hmm. And and let me clarify, John, that when you said people don't deserve loans, you were speaking specifically to their ability to repay them, not to their value as human beings. <laughs> um, in, in case somebody, yeah, so- some people might some some people might equate the two, but no, I'm talking simply about creditworthiness. Um, I believe you should not discriminate. The color that matters is green. Do you have the credit score? Can you pay it back? I don't care if you're white or not white. I don't care if you're black or not black. Can you pay the loan back? If you treat everyone equally under the same circumstance, you're not discriminating. Unfortunately, that's not the tack our government took. 
All right, we need to take a quick break. We're talking today about some specific ways in which a government regulation that you may not have even realized was happening at the time or realized it impacted you as a small real estate investor or business owner, how how it does, in fact, impact you. And we're also taking your calls at 877-772-9658 or by email if you go to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Attorney John Heyer about uh, just some some very direct ways in which regulation and taxation hits the housing industry as a whole, of course, but also it hits you as a real estate investor in your pocketbook. And John, I think I think one of the one of the best examples, and we keep seeing this over and over again in municipality after municipality all over the United States, is this idea of quote landlord licensing or landlord registration, or they 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 put it under any number of names. The argument is always from from the folks who are doing wanting to do the regulation. The argument is always. We need we need to do these inspections of rental properties in order to increase the health and safety of our tenants and the beauty of our community. And of course, we must charge the people who own those rental units for these inspections. And a recent one here in Southern Ohio uh, that is actually still under consideration. Uh, the number the number that they felt was fair to charge for these annual intrusions was uh, two hundred and fifty dollars per unit. It's a great fundraiser if you can Well, and I was going to say and 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 in order it's like kind of like the guys who steal the copper from your house. They didn't just take the copper, right? Okay, they took you know 20 bucks worth of copper. It's going to cost me $1000 to fix that. Likewise, you're paying the 250 for the inspection. I believe that's the insult. The actual injury is the $5,000 in unnecessary repairs you make because the bureaucrat making the inspection has to justify their existence. And of course, they must find something wrong because you're a bad person. Well, and let, let, me, let me play devil's advocate for a moment, John. Difficult though this is for me. And let me say, people should live in safe properties. People should live in, in, in places where the, you know, the, the plug doesn't blow up when you plug it into the wall and and you don't fall through the floor and and by golly if if property owners aren't going to do this for themselves the, the state should step in and make them do it two-pronged answer um a i agree i'm not for slumlording i'm not for making people live in something that's not habitable or unsafe we already have laws there are already ways to take people to court for damages for example on negligence or not properly maintaining a property uh, there already are codes that can be enforced. So adding another law isn't, you know, it's kind of like if you're, you got a problem with teenage speeding in a 25 mile per hour zone. It turns out the teenagers are driving 55 miles per hour. So you drop the speed limit to 20 on the theory that that'll help. <laughs> um, second, it doesn't make a difference, right? If you look, let's look first of all at regulation overall. Do we really live that much better today than we lived in 1985, if at all better? And if so, is it due to regulation? We have a lot more regulation today, much more than we had in 1985. Is the country doing better? 
I would say they're doing worse, and I'd say some of that is attributable regulation. Likewise, when you look at areas where they have these inspections and you compare it to what was there before or you compare it to what's adjacent, has there been any improvement, and if so, sufficient improvement to justify the costs? I'd say there are enough laws. Passing more laws, especially if the laws are not very smart, doesn't help. I think on the inspection, that is pure revenue raising. That is pure employment of bureaucrat acts. Mm-hmm. And we, we've got enough of those. We don't need more of those. Yes, and, and again, I sometimes have uh, arguments with uh, folks who don't actually own rental properties who say, well, you know, $250 is really not a large price to pay just to be a, a corporate citizen. But the reality of of the, the, the rental business is $250 can easily be two and a half months of the profit of a, of a property that you bought right and and that is making money. I mean, people seem to think that if if you know if a if a place is running for five fifty a month, that you're getting five fifty a month, and that's not. <laughs> well, and, and you'll also notice these arguments. You know, again, two responses to that: um, the arguments that these people make two hundred and fifty dollars isn't a lot of money. Yeah, as long as it's not their money. The instant you focus it on the speaker, well, how about you plug in two hundred and fifty dollars? Oh well, that's different. You see, I don't do real estate. Oh, well, now we know why. You don't want to have to pay. Second, it hurts property values. If you look at the REO market, for example, in Cleveland and Columbus, Cleveland is a much more highly regulated, anti-landlord, pro-inspection, pro-bureaucracy jurisdiction. Two identical properties, you'll pay a lot less in Cleveland. Why? Because you're going to pay a lot more in these fees. These fees add up. It's not just 250 it's 250 here, 300 there, 175 over there. That adds up. And when people make less income on a property, they're willing to pay less for it. So if you want to know why two identical properties sell for very different prices in two different jurisdictions, look to the regulation. Mm-hmm. And look at the look at the number of abandoned properties in very very highly regulated jurisdictions versus non because it you know the, the the landlord who's who's right on the edge just barely scraping by and then some regulation passes that's going to take away the rest of his profit next time his property goes vacant he isn't re-renting it he's not going to spend fifteen hundred dollars turning it over and putting a new tenant in just to make no money and you know it it's it's sad that people don't don't maintain their rental properties uh, for the public good, that they do it for a profit. But that's the reality of it. And if you take away the profit, it's going to, uh, again, impact the entire housing market. One of the one of the things that that I find myself constantly saying, and I see the various RIA groups constantly saying to the regulators is, yes, you're costing us money, by costing us money, you are creating more abandoned housing. By creating more abandoned housing, you're creating less affordable housing. Because it isn't, it isn't the $300,000 house in the great neighborhood that gets abandoned over this. It's the $55,000 house that, up until the time that you made it unprofitable, was providing safe housing for a family who could afford a $55,000 house. And now that's gone. Well, and a perfect case in point would be this. Detroit is a highly highly regulated city. Nobody in their right mind wants their city to look like Detroit. I think that should just end the argument right there. Sorry, Detroiters who are listening, but uh, 
you, you all know that you have that reputation as being a very high, highly regulated city with a very high number of abandoned properties, right? And, and what Detroiters that are listening, nobody from Detroit with any money still lives in Detroit. Yep, it has a, all, all of these things have just massive uh, sort of waves of of unintended consequences that uh, many of us can see up front. It's just getting it through to the people who are passing the laws in the first place, what those are. Uh, you want to agree with John? You want to argue with John? You want to bring up your own favorite regulation? Give us a call at 877-772-9658 or go to askvina.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A dot com and send us an email. Uh, John, it tends to be the landlords that are most aware in our business. It's landlords that are most aware of things like this because they're the ones who are paying it year after year or month after month. But there are also a lot of uh, regulations that have come out in the past few years that have uh, deeply impacted the renovators and uh, people who want to buy the house and fix it and resell it. And boy, you talk about a breed of people we need more of in the market right now. (laughs) We need more people who are willing to invest their money in, in renovating some of these bank owned properties and getting them back on the market. Uh, I think an example that, that folks are really familiar with is uh, um, the, the EPA regulations that came out a couple of years ago that, that uh, made renovating any property built before 1978 significantly, less expen- uh, significantly more expensive because of the, quote, lead safe regulations. But another thing that I, I'm not even sure the cities themselves realize what this does is just plain old building codes and and piling and piling and piling and piling on what it means to bring something up to code. Yeah, and the the problem with that is the utopian mindset of always we can do better. Well, yeah, not economically or efficiently. In other words, again, am I against a building code? No, I, I think stable set of reasonable rules helps investment and helps business. It's when they continue to pile on and shoot for an unattainable perfection. You want to charge me $50,000 to fix up a property that could never be worth more than $40,000, do not be shocked when nobody takes you up on that offer. And so that's the problem with the building codes. Add to that, a lot of it depends on the attitude of the locals. Traditionally, for example, here in Columbus, it hasn't been that bad. But now that the city's desperate for money, they're starting to use the building code instead of as a means to make sure housing is safe. They're using it as a means of, gotcha, you need to pay a fine, we're raising revenue. And, and that is an absolute prescription for becoming like Cleveland. So they can claim all day long, hey, we're trying to make the city better. What they will in fact do is drive rehabbers straight out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the one of the uh, other uh, sort of interesting things that we've seen more of, at least in the Midwest, I can't uh, speak as much to the to the other parts of the country, is uh, codes starting to require that properties that are vacant for more than a certain period of time, and, and the time's not very long, be boarded up by the owner at the owner's expense, and many times that there also be a fee paid to maintain the building vacant. And of course, that that drives actual renovators insane because it's really hard to fix up a boarded up property. And it's really hard to sell or rent a property that you have been forced to board up. (laughs) There is a 
fee. Last I looked, I was just talking to a client in Minnesota. And my numbers could be a little off. I'll have to double check them. But my recollection, I, I was just flabbergasted. I mean, granted, I expect all sorts of socialism out of Minnesota. But in, in uh, Minneapolis, if you have an empty building, my recollection is the annual fee was something like $2,000 to have an empty property there on top of all the other requirements they place on it. And that may sound cute, uh, that, that is, again, not a prescription for inviting rehabbers in. You add to the risk, you add to the cost, because if for whatever reason it's vacant, you're going to hit them with that. It's going to lower values or make the values so low that nobody comes up and fixes it. And what happens? They achieve the opposite of their stated purpose. Instead of getting things fixed up and filled, they guarantee vacancy and vandalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, there, there are certainly some properties that need to be boarded up because the windows are broken, people are breaking in, they could potentially hurt themselves. Uh, it, it's the it's the strictness of that. It's uh, If it's been vacant for 60 days, six, 60 days, I could be raising the money to renovate it. In 60 days, I could be lining up the contractors to renovate it. It's uh, 60 days is... is Again, when you when you look at okay, you board it up, and by the way, pay the city nine hundred dollars, which is what the fee is in Cincinnati. You have to look at that and say that that nine hundred dollars is is a fundraiser. It's not it's not keeping anybody safe. It's not doing anything. It's not it's it's let's let's balance the budget on the backs of the people who own the housing. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're going to take a quick break. If you have questions or comments for John or you'd like to argue with him, he he actually likes that and and he's a big boy and he can take it. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658 or you can send an email by going to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Mike is Mike is so upset about the beating that Cleveland and Detroit are taking that he doesn't know what button to push anymore. And uh, yeah, uh, so we're talking today about the direct effect of regulation on you as a real estate investor. And uh, John, before we go any further with all of this kind of gloom and doom, is there something that people should be doing about this? Yeah, I'm going to give three suggestions. Let's start with one. We saw it happen yesterday. Cut the thing off at the source. In Wisconsin, they cut it off at the source. The state's budget is balanced. Why? Because there are special interest groups, in the case up there, the unions, they're the ones that drive this kind of spending. They spend so much on their pensions. They work, work, and I use the term loosely, 20 years. They retire for 40 and want full pension and full health care benefits. Now, most normal people don't even dream of that kind of retirement. Well, in Wisconsin, they put a stop to it. Why do you think the cities are desperate for revenue? Why do you think that they're going to try and charge you for everything they can? Because it's their retirement that they're trying to pay for. So go Wisconsin. Even in California, not exactly a Republican conservative state, we saw at the local level in several municipalities, uh, they limited how much can be put into the pensions and decided if the city workers want that kind of pensions, maybe they ought to, I know this is crazy, actually pay for it themselves, or at least some percentage, like maybe, this is crazy now, 20%, pay 20% of your pension, please. So that's step one. Step two, uh, you look at the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businesses, give them money. I'll tell you what, if you're a business person out there, any kind of business, not just real estate, 
and you don't like this regulation, and you don't like the taxes, and you don't like being pounded, but you're unwilling to cut a check to someone like the NFIB, and Bina's going to give us another suggestion here in a minute on a more local, more topical real estate level, if you're not willing to get in the fight, if you're not willing to put your money where your mouth is, if you're just going to take a beating, but you're too darned cheap to put up the money to fight the good fight, to have people who represent your interests go to D.C., go to your state capitals, go to your local cities and fight on your behalf, not just for less regulation, but just more rational regulation. You know, sometimes there is some needed, but for the love of Pete, make it rational. If you're not willing to pay to have your voice heard, then don't complain. Don't whine. Don't complain. If all you're willing to do is vote, I mean, let's seriously, you talk to people, well, I vote the right way. What do you want, a cookie or a medal? Get out there and fight. If you're not willing to put down some money, you're not willing to fight. You deserve whatever happens to you. The problem is, I don't. And I think, Vina, you might have a suggestion for something a little bit more local, both as pertains to Ohio and to the various metro areas, that if you want to get into, because NFIB protects small business in general, and they're great. But yeah, if you I want would... to really get into real estate... Yeah, what I would, what I would, what I would suggest is uh, being on public radio and all. Listeners look around for who is advocating for them where they are, because it, uh, many there's many states in the U.S. Ohio is one of them. Uh, Pennsylvania is one. Michigan used to be one, but I'm not sure if they are anymore. That have state level organizations, uh, and they're typically nonprofit groups, which I believe the the NFIB also is that watch the state capital to see what's coming out of it. And when there's, some, when there's something under consideration that looks really ugly, they go and talk about why it's really ugly. And, uh, you know, your, your idea, John, of, of check writing, as opposed to what most investors want to do, which is as soon as they, as soon as they hear about something bad, which, by the way, by the time they hear about it, it's too late, because <laughs> it's coming up for a vote and there's people already invested in it. Then they want to run down to city council or they want to run down to the state house and they want to they want to scream and complain and say, don't do this. And they want to threaten and all that sort of stuff. R- writing a check generally means that you get your, your industry gets to have influence before these things come out of committee, before they are ready to be voted on, because it has been. My experience in 20 years of, of watching these laws be made and protested that once it's ready to come to a vote, you're not going to defeat it. It's not going to happen. So it's the lobbyists who are working behind the scenes, not the people who are showing up in red shirts and screaming bloody murder that are generally making the things happen. And that means writing a check. And that means finding whoever is advocating for whatever your business is, and in our case, real estate, uh, in your area. That's a hard sell, too, because I'll tell you what, from my experience, what I've seen when, when somebody passes the tin cup around, for example, at the uh, OREA convention, for exactly what you're talking about, I've never seen a room cleared of investors faster. <laughs> Well, we got and, into and that's a darn shame. Yeah, we got into the investment business because we were lone eagles. We don't want to think about stuff like this. We just want it not to happen. Yeah, no, definitely got to get more involved. And I'm sorry it does involve money. It's an investment, right? Mm-hmm. It's an investment both in personal freedom but also in your business. You put down some money so that you don't get hammered relentlessly and ruthlessly for more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the long and the short of it. 
Okay, and you had a you had a third suggestion. One is one is actually that that was the third. I just oh. wanted to let you roll it out. Okay, you do a better job on that third one. <laughs> okay, so it's basically you know vote the right way, get involved. When I ran for school board, what was super valuable was people who were willing to go door to door and deliver flyers and get involved um, at the national level, especially with NFIB and similar organizations. Give and finally find the local ones that represent your interests and your voice. Um, but if they if they don't have a megaphone, they're not going to be heard. And the megaphone needs batteries. Batteries cost money. <laughs> uh, now we did just get a, a comment in, not a, not a question, uh, via the askvina.com website. This is from Mike in Canton, Ohio. He says, just a comment. Canton, Ohio, is the most highly regulated city in the United States in t- or in, in Ohio. He says, in terms of investment property. And qualifies as the poster child of onerous and burdensome regulations. The result is 14% vacant, abandoned, or boarded up houses and a median sale price of $20,000 in 2010. So in 2010, half of the properties in, that sold in Canton sold for under 20 and half sold for over 20. He says, thank you, politicians and bureaucrats. I would say my hometown of Youngstown is probably a close second without seeing the numbers. Um, in fact, that's why you have so many more Youngstowners with jobs, not in Youngstown, but in places like Columbus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, let, me, let me again invite listeners with any questions or comments about our discussion on regulation today to give us a call at 877-772-9658 or to send an email by going to askvina.com, filling in the response form, and uh, just hitting the send button. Uh, John, um, we have a, a, a request here from Roxanne, who's in Louisville. She says, unfortunately, I cannot attend the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night. I wonder if John could touch on the SAFE Act. Well, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about. I mean, it's bipartisanship is awful. Here's what happens when Democrats and Republicans agree. They passed with a Democrat Congress, and Bush signed the SAFE Act, which basically says you are not allowed to sell on owner financing without a license. You need to be licensed to sell your property if you're going to sell it for anything but cash on the barrelhead. Uh, If you're going to sell it on payments, you need to be regulated and monitored. You have to get a, and it's run state by state. So every state's just a little bit different. For example, some states will allow you to do two or three deals before you have to be licensed. Most won't. They all have their permutation. But the long and the short of the SAFE Act is if you sell on land contract, and this is, by the way, to an end buyer, so to someone who's going to live in the property. In other words, if you're selling to investors on paper, that's not a problem. You don't need to be licensed for that. But if you're selling to end buyers who are going to inhabit the property on land contract, contract for deed, installment sale, and this applies to mobile homes, by the way, it's really impacted my business and how I'm able to sell things in my mobile home parks, you have to have a license. The penalty for not doing so is $25,000 per transaction. It hasn't been enforced yet, although they set up a specific federal bureaucracy headed by Ohio's uh, Richard... Is it Richard Cordray? Yeah, Dick Cordray. Um, He is zealously anti-business, and they have made very clear they intend to enforce things such as the SAFE Act. Remember, they're looking to raise revenue. What does it take to get the license? From what I've heard, 
it's about 4000 bucks worth of classes and a fair amount of time taking some tests that are not terribly easy. It does involve an FBI background check, and it does involve a credit check. Uh, so if you can pass through all those things, you can qualify to sell properties on installment sales. If you cannot, you might consider hiring someone who has the license. In most states, it's called a loan originator license. And this is a very quick and dirty. I'll talk in more detail at Cincinnati RIA tomorrow. But it's something you need to be aware of. I just got an email from a client today in Iowa uh, about that, and they went and looked into it. It turns out Iowa has an exemption for a few deals per year, and they talked to a local lawyer about it. So they're able to do a few deals per year, and they're probably going to stick below that limit and just not go above it because it's not worth the license. But So here we have an economy where people can't get financing, where selling houses on contract would help increase values and provide for home ownership, and they're creating regulation that makes it harder to do. And I know the response is going to be, well, there were abuses. My response would be, yes, there were, and there were laws already on the books that would deal with that. We didn't need another law. We didn't need licensing. They just needed to enforce the existing laws. But that would make too much sense. <laughs> You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today about how regulation is costing you money. You can send in your questions and comments by going to askvina.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, having a conversation today about regulations and how they affect you. My guest is John Heyer. Yes, thank you folks who have commented via email uh, that John is um, uh, pretty direct about his feelings about this, and uh, <laughs> uh, he's actually he's actually being a little reined in during this discussion. For your information, uh, if you disagree with him, send us an email at askvina dot com. Uh, we just received an email, John, from Chris, who lives in Valparaiso, Indiana, who says. Strictly speaking, you do not have to have a license in order to sell properties with owner financing through the SAFE Act. What you do have to have is someone who does have a license to process your applications for you. I've checked around to see if people with mortgage originators licenses will help me with this process. The lowest bid I've gotten is $600 to process the application and $37 a month to service the resulting land contract now chris 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 you're, you're being greedy all right it's only six hundred dollars per transaction and this minor little monthly fee i don't know why you, that would upset you it's a tiny little fee to pay for a better safer society and i just can't understand how somebody could possibly be upset by that yes and it, i mean as an example of of as you said, uh, the difference between overregulation and just uh, dumb regulation. If there were certain things that that the, and this was this was a law that came down from the federal government as as a uh, okay states now take this and and implement it in your states uh, sort of deal. If there were certain things that the federal government felt like needed to be done in the application process, needed to be done in the uh, closing process, needed to be done in the documents themselves, would it not have been just as easy just to say what those things were and then say, you know, comply with this? You don't have to you don't have to have a license, but you do need to comply with it. You know, it's the direction of our society. Um, we have laws that regulate this. You're not allowed to engage in a deceptive practice 
Deceptive Business Acts. The Attorney General regulates it. Let me tell you what they don't like about those laws. They actually have to prove that someone did something wrong, and that takes effort. It's much easier to ban the thing or semi-ban it through the use of licensing. All that's going to do is restrict who can get into the market. A lot fewer people will get involved in this. I've had I have clients that are you know just small businesses, but this is what they did. They would sell online contracts or they would sell mobile homes on notes. They're just playing out of business. And what does that do with the large companies? Let me ask you this. Walmart, at a certain stage, supported Obamacare. Why? Because they knew that their small competitors couldn't afford it, and they could. Yes, I understand that uh, actually some of the larger banks were in favor of the SAFE Act, which, uh, by the way, I mean, we don't, you know, we've got like five minutes left in the show and we've done whole shows on the SAFE Act, but the the original purpose of it was, uh, as stated anyway, was to stop abuses by the banks of their borrowers. <laughs> and this, uh, it got kind of got, uh, you know, we got swept up in it as uh, owners of, of properties that we might want to sell uh, and carry back the paper ourselves. And I, I believe as the uh, thing worked its way through to the actual writing stage, the larger banks began to support it. And all of the uh, chatter out there on the blogs is that it is because they have the money and the people to comply with the regulations. And they know that smaller, particularly mortgage brokers, do not. That's exactly right. This is trivial for a bank to get this sort of licensing or people with the licensing. Utterly trivial. Um, but for small businesses, for a lot of my clients, it's not trivial. It put them out of business. They are done. They have to go do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good. So uh, we have time maybe to talk about uh, one other example of regulation that uh, you've you, you've either seen already happen or you, you see happening in coming up uh, that is going to directly hit our listenership in the pocketbook. And I'm going to let you choose what that is. You know, I'll go to what I know the best, given that my practice focuses on taxation. There are indirect types of regulation. Um, The government, unconstitutionally, by the way, in my view, back in the 30s said, well, Congress doesn't have to pass a law. Now, we know the Constitution says Congress has to pass laws, but they were kidding we're going to let regulatory agencies such as EPA, Department of Labor, IRS pass laws. And that has led to massive amounts of regulation that your lobbyists have far less impact on. I'll tell you what we're seeing with the IRS. They are sending out tons more letters, lots and lots of letters, saying, you owe money. The majority of those letters are wrong. My clients have to pay someone to deal with it. We don't work for free. So they're paying us to deal with letters. Sometimes the letter is small enough, let's say $200, it would cost more to call the IRS and get them to cancel it than than the letter's worth. So the client either calls it themselves and gives them the best shot, or they don't want to call the IRS, and so they just pay the amount. Um, If you get a letter from the IRS, stay calm. So much of what they send out is computer-generated and wrong, but they're doing a lot more of it, and they're using it to raise revenue. And I don't know that our lobbyists could do anything about that. The only way to stop that is to get to the fundamental problems in the political process. It goes way deeper. Um, but, but we're absolutely seeing that. We're seeing them be much more aggressive in audits, and we're seeing them send out far more letters. I, I, I won't really say asking for money. I mean, technically they're asking, but it's in a really rude, mean way that a lot of people don't feel like it's a request. 
Uh, so definitely we're seeing much, much more of that, unfortunately. The only person that benefits is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because I received a letter from the IRS yesterday informing me that it was going to uh, basically take my properties. I mean, it said we, we, we will take actions up to and including seizing your real estate over a bill that at the top, at the top in great big letters, what do you have to pay? $6.37. Welcome to the bureaucratic world. <laughs> yes. And uh, I mean, I, I, I did, I did chuckle about that one because, you know, it's, do I owe him $6.37? It could be, but you know, I, of course I'm going to pay it rather than pay you $150 to uh, fix it for me. Uh, so, uh, John, you're speaking tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati. The topic is actually uh, asset protection and the SAFE Act and the Dodd-Frank Act and uh, some things like that. You've got a an upcoming Saturday that you are doing in combination with Greater Dayton RIA and Cincinnati RIA. That's on July the 16th. And I believe that day is uh, going to be half about uh, QuickBooks and how to set that up correctly so that your accounting is right, and at the end of the year, your taxes are cheaper to do, and uh, half a day on entity choice, yes? That's exactly right. Okay. and Half a day on asset protection, entity choice, um, with a lot of Q&A, because there's a lot of really bad information out there on choice of entity. Mm-hmm. And the first half of the day, when people are caffeinated, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed, will be a sample set of QuickBooks where we'll cover as much as we can in about three and a half hours of this is what a real estate company looks like set up in QuickBooks. Uh, so you come out with a fairly basic understanding of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. And folks can get more information about that by either going to CincinnatiRIA.com, that's com, or by going to GDRIA.org. Thank you for your time, John, and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.